I was 18 years old and uh, just Brother Wilson had just felt my call to preach and uh, knew that I want that I felt like I, I say I knew that I wanted to I started to say that and then I wanted to say well I didn't really want to I wanted to say I felt like God wanted me to but I felt like I probably wanted to and I was hoping God did too that's how, that's more accurate that I wanted to evangelize and it was at that time that uh, a young preacher from Potts Camp, Mississippi came and preached at my home church in Kokomo, Indiana and his name was Wilson Murphy and we called him Murphy Wilson because we just assumed he was a Wilson so we thought his name was Murphy Wilson I probably called you that for about a year he was over there and we were talking about that night and he was he said well I bet I wasn't doing this and he was cleaning his glasses because you know at that age he didn't need glasses I said yeah and I could see more than just the tips of my toes when I looked down <laughs> and so we've come a long way in life hadn't we um, I've said this before sometimes you have people that come in and out of your life and they're like a shooting star you know they're there and then they're gone and they they just you know and then sometimes you have friends that God's put in your life for now 36 years. It's a long time. But, uh, but I'm thankful. And Brother Murphy has done a lot of things. I was talking with, with uh, someone about him last week. And there's not a thing he can't do from singing and playing music, preaching and teaching. And I'm excited he's going to come. And he's going to bring you the Wednesday night lesson. And you welcome Brother Wilson Murphy. Praise God. I, I was looking around for a moment there to see who he's preaching. Because after he was doing all that telling about could do anything, I'd like somebody else must be preaching instead of me. So uh, if you will turn with me to... Uh, the book of 2 Kings chapter number 4 and verse number 1. I'm going to read from there uh, a few verses. But a very familiar story. The Bible said 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord and the creditor is to come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. And from that passage of Scripture, great, great messages have been preached uh, the Jeff Arnold preached it because of the times many, many years ago. The miracle is looking for a vessel. And if you've never heard that, go to YouTube and find it. You will be blessed by, uh, by that, that word. But verse number 8, skipping to verse number 8. So you, you read about the certain woman who has, her husband has died. The creditors are coming to get her children. The man of God said, what do you have? She said, I've got nothing but a pot of oil. And it's through that pot of oil, the Bible said that's where the miracle comes from. When she poured into that pot of oil, the oil kept flowing and she poured into another vessel, into another, into another. And then they sold the oil that 
came from the miracle and she was able to pay off the creditors and save her children from them. But then you see in verse number eight, and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem where there was a great woman. She constrained him to eat bread and so it was that oft she had, he, as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. So one day he's passing by. She says, come in. I know you're the man of God. Come in and eat some bread. Let me feed you. And it, so it was from that day forward that uh, uh, she would constrain him and he would go there as he passed by. And the Bible said, verse 9, And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive this is a holy man of God which passeth by us, us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Let's set a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us, he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither and turned into the chamber and he lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said unto her, or he, and he said unto him to Gehazi, it's kind of a little bit of a, uh, she's standing there, and he tells his servant to tell her. I mean, he could have told her. It was kind of an uh, odd thing, almost a little little embarrassing, if you would. But he, he says, uh, when we told Gehazi, he said, Say now to her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us, and with all this care, what is to be done for thee? What can we do to repay you for all that you are doing for us? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king? Could I talk to the king for you? Is there a matter in your life that, that I could go talk to the king? I, I, I'm good friends with the king. I'd be glad to. And she said, no, I dwell among mine own people. And she, he said, what is to be done? And, and Gehazi speaks up and says, she hath no child. Her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the door and then, he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. A little bit of a strange little story there, but we'll get into it a little bit more. And uh, before you're seated, turn and shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad to see them on Valentine's Day. Ask them if they'll be yours. You may be seated. I think that my job here tonight on Valentine's night is to uh, try to uh, correct all of the marital trouble that there is in the world. And oh, no, I don't have time for all that. I know that uh, I, I told somebody earlier that one of the reasons I was preaching tonight was that after uh, everybody had to look at me for a little while, maybe they'd go home and feel better about their own situation. Don't know for sure if that's the truth, but uh, I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about the silence of the Shunammite. The silence of the Shunammite. It was actually, uh, I was trying to think, Mother, do you, what year did you have your heart cath done? About six, seven years ago, maybe, something like that. Brother Voskis and I were sitting in the waiting room while she was back in the back having a heart cath done and um, just sitting there talking, talking about preaching, talking about messages, the word, and different things. And uh, I gave him a little synopsis on what I'm about to, to give to you. 
And I told him, I said, I'm having trouble coming up with a, with a, uh, a title. I always like good titles, you know. I figure if you have a good title that it's, you know, if the, if the message is a flop, maybe they'll remember the title. That's better than nothing, right? So I, I always like good, good titles. And Brother Vasquez, as you well know, such a great man of God and preacher and, and his, his right. And, and so it, it didn't take him no time, Brother Kenny. He said, the silence of the Shunammite. I was like, Wow. Why didn't I think of that? I wish I could have thought of it and wouldn't have had to give him credit for it, right? But I, I was so thankful that he gave, gave that to me. And after doing even a little more research, I found that one of the definitions of the word Shunammite actually is silence. So I thought, well, that's pretty good. And, and uh, it, it, it fits exactly what, what I want to talk to you for a few minutes about. The first verse in that Second Kings chapter uh, number four there talked about the woman with the uh, husband who had passed and how she was dealing with the situation that she was in and needing a miracle, desperate for a move of God in her life, desperate for God to do something uh, miraculous for her. Is Her husband, one of the sons of the prophets, had, uh, had passed and and she is one of the many examples of actions of desperate people in the Word of God that receive a miracle in their time of need or in their time of desperation. She had owed a debt that she could not pay back. And in that day and time, it was legal for the, the, those that were owed the debt to, to come and take the children of the person who owed the debt, take them and put them to work for them as servants, as slaves, if you will, until the debt was repaid. I, I uh, joke sometimes, I have, but I, this is not a joke, I have three of the best children I could ever ask for, as anybody could ever ask for. None of the three are here tonight, so I can say that. I hope they're not watching, they won't get the big head. But uh, maybe I know Alex is. She's watching. She is sick tonight. But uh, Victoria now, uh, after getting married, lives in Memphis and goes to church up there. And Justice is now working in the church in Blue Mountain. And uh, I'm blessed to have three wonderful children. I, I, I joked before when somebody's asked me, said, what is the, uh, uh, the, the, how do you get to be married 32 years and, and have that long of a marriage and I said well it's pretty simple neither one of us wanted custody <laughs> I had heard of a man and a woman who called their seven year old son into the living room one night and set him down and said son said, we've got to t tell you something they said we're getting a divorce and said uh which one of us do you want to go live with? Do you want to go live with dad or mom? Which one do you want to go live with? And seven years old, I mean, he, you know, it's a tough, tough situation to be in. And so uh, he, he said, I'm going, to go live, I'm going to go live with dad. Dad immediately spoke up and he said, okay, we're not getting a divorce anymore. <laughs> that kind of changed it, you know. But this woman, of course, did not want to lose her children to be bondmen. And the woman, the Bible said, cried out. The Bible didn't say she stopped him and whispered in his ear. 
It didn't say that she pulled him aside and said, I just need to have a little quiet discussion with you. The Bible said she cried out in desperation, cried out not worrying about who would hear or what somebody may think of her. What do we do when we have a desperate need? I am blessed and thankful. Tomorrow may be different and it may be totally different than what it is right now, but I have, I have yet to have a lot of really, really desperate situations in my life. I have had some, some tough times and some things that I needed God to do. But, but I have not faced what this woman was facing. I had not faced what some of the people that we read about in the word of God were facing. But what do we do in 2024? That almost sounds, sounds funny saying that, doesn't it? But we are in 2024. The actions that followed the discovery of the need that cannot be fixed by anyone else. You know, have you, have you found yourself in a situation where you needed somebody, you or your wife couldn't fix whatever this was, you know? It was going to require some outside help. It was help, help, it was possible to get through it. You know, we've been through these situations. But situations that neither you or your wife were able to fix, it was going to require some outside help. And you know how it is when, when that something like that happens, if you look back on a time, we go down our list of saviors. We go down our list of saviors. Maybe we call mama, we call daddy, grandpa, grandma, whoever it may be, maybe brother or sister. We go down the list of uh, maybe a doctor, a lawyer. It's going to require some professional help. It's going to require, might even require a banker, a loan, some money to be, a check in the mail. Hallelujah. Could you say amen to that? I got one of those the other day. And let me tell you what the devil tried to do. He tried to destroy it. My, my mailbox won't close real good and it rained all up in there and so it was just wet as it could be. I had to lay it out to dry and finally got it dried out and cashed it. Praise the Lord. But uh, the first time I got a check in the mail in a while, but uh, it was something that, that I was owed from quite a while back, but I was glad to see it, amen? But until all the possibilities are tried, we come up empty. What will we do? You know the saying, desperate times call for desperate measures, right? There is a story of a rock climber who... Uh, in that climbing of the rock, and I don't know the exact details of the name, it slips my mind, but I've read the story. Some of you may have heard it. And there was something that happened and a rock from above or something came down and pinned his arm in between that rock and the mountain he was climbing. The only way for him to survive that ordeal and to be able to come out of that alive and get off of that mountain was he actually had to take his knife and cut his own arm off because there was no other way to get his arm out. There was nobody there to help. And he is now uh, one of those who would tell you that desperate times do call for desperate measures. This woman, she is desperate for a miracle. She is in desperate need. She doesn't, she's already lost her husband. She doesn't want to lose her children. She refuses to accept this. And she will not be denied. That is the attitude that she had. And I will tell you that if you and I sometimes are going to get 
the, the miracle from God or the, the, the answer from God, you and I must be willing to do some things that do not make sense. The act of seeming nonsense makes your faith visible to God. I've always, God, God asked to see our faith and the Bible said that, that, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you really think about it, I have always felt and, and, and known that, that faith is actually invisible to our eye. You can't see faith. Two people could stand in front of you, one of them full of faith and the other without any faith. And our eye cannot detect the faith that that person has or the lack thereof from the other. Faith is not something that we see. But to God, our actions make our faith visible. What we do in response to our problem, to our situation, it begins to uh, illuminate the faith that we have, whether it be just a small amount or a great big amount. But what we do when we are confronted with a problem, even the act seemingly nonsense to us, she was willing to do what the man of God said. It made no sense whatsoever. She said, all I've got in my house is a pot of oil. And she said, it's, it's, it's about out. There's, not, there's nothing else left. And, and so when the, the man of God heard this, Elisha says, go borrow a bunch of vessels. Just go through the neighborhood and ask everybody, have you got any empty vessels? He said, borrow empty vessels. Borrow not a few. Go get a bunch of vessels. Now, I, I, I know, uh, we're, we're all going to act like we're real spiritual and we kind of know because we know the answer and we know what happened here. If we didn't know what took place, this would seemingly be utter nonsense. I've got enough oil in the bottom of my vessel in the house. That's all I got. That's it. And, and you're telling me to go get a bunch of vessels and when I get these vessels... I'm going to pour what oil I have into them and then I'm going to go sell it and it's going to pay off my debt and my children are going to be able to uh, be saved and it, it, utter nonsense. But she does exactly what the man of God says and you know the story. The story was that she kept pouring and every vessel she had borrowed was filled. The oil just kept flowing. This wasn't the same story about the woman who only had a little bit of oil in the cruise and a little bit of meal in the bottom of the barrel when the man of God told her to bake him a cake first. This, this is a different story. But the same thing took place. And the Bible said the only thing that stopped that oil from flowing from her original vessel was whenever there wasn't an empty vessel left. It, you, it, is, it is utter nonsense that, that if you think about it. Now, I know we're all real spiritual. We're, we're Bible scholars and theologians and we've read the books and we know uh, all the ends of the story. So we can sit here like, yeah, yeah, but it's going to happen. Amen. We had, you had no, you didn't. We didn't, not, we didn't have that kind of thing. I'll even go as far to tell you as that several times in the word of God, miracles are performed when there is no faith. 
I know I've been taught the same thing and I've always thought the same thing that the first thing you need to get a miracle is faith. Let me be a little bit stupid on you here. First thing you need is a problem. Second thing you need, the Bible said, we need to have faith in God. However, there have been times in all of our, uh, our lives, Brother Kenny, Sister Gail, you know what I'm talking about, Brother Wilson, Sister Wilson, in losing a son where that there, there's no amount of, it, it's like your faith is drained down to where there's none in you whatsoever. But would you believe that in obedience to the word of God, the voice of the man of God, miracles time and time again continue to occur when the person that needed it had no faith whatsoever. 2 Kings 2.21, Naaman, who is, his, 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 has come down with leprosy, leprosy, uncurable disease. They vanish you or vanquish you to another part of the, the, the land. They don't, they don't let you live with everybody else. Anything that you touch cannot be touched by anybody else because it's contaminated and it could be spread by that. So Naaman has leprosy. She is told by a little young girl, if you talk to the man of God, you do what he tells you, God can heal you of your leprosy. He goes to see the man of God, loads down his, his oxen, his camel, whatever he took with him, and he took some, some presents and gifts to give the man of God. He gets to the man of God's tent and asks to see the man of God, and, 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 and it was Gehazi, I believe it was, the same one walks out to the front. He is the servant of the man of God, and he tells Naaman, he said, go dip in the river Jordan seven times. And at first, Naaman, Naaman is a captain of an army. He is a high-ranking official. He is somebody. He's not a nobody. He is, he's somebody that could, could kill somebody with a snap of a finger. He has men under his control, men that would do his bidding. But he's, he, he, he is, he's kind of you know, put off guard and a little bit upset that the man of God don't come talk to him himself. He, you know, don't you know who I am kind of thing? I, I, I am Naaman, and I, that, that should carry some weight, but... The servant brings the word and Naaman finally after finding that the man of God's not going to come out and talk to me himself and he's going to tell me to go dip in the muddy Jordan that there are plenty of rivers around here. There are, there are lakes and there are ponds. There are lots of other bodies of water that I surely I could go to one of them, not the muddy Jordan. He's mad and he rides off. He's mad, headed back home. He's still got leprosy, mind you. I don't know how far he goes, but then something takes a hold of his mind and he says, had he, had he, had he asked you to do something great, would you have done it? Yeah. If he had asked you to pay a certain amount of money, which he probably had plenty of money, he, he would, would you have, sure I would have, but, but he asked you to do this and you're not going, and so finally you find Naaman going to the river Jordan. Have you seen one ounce, one little tiny bit of faith in this story out of Naaman? Not me. You know, he, he, he goes till he, he has no other options. He's went through his list of saviors. Nothing's going to work. And he finally decides, well, I guess I'll go down there and try it. 
goes under once, comes back up, looks, he's still got leprosy. Goes twice, you know, still got it all the way to the seventh time. And when the seventh time he comes back up, all of his leprosy is healed. You know what is needed more than faith? Obedience. Obedience will bring more miracles and give you more from the hand of God than any faith will ever give you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against faith. Faith, it is impossible to to please God without it. You've got to have faith. But in those times when you have no faith, Don't think that God can't work a miracle just because you've been brought so low and going through so much and you're not able to to have the faith you really need. I'm telling you, obey the word of God. Great things happen when we do that. The nonsense, the, th- the things that we do, 2 Kings 3 and 16, there had been no rain, there was drought, and the man of God told them to dig ditches. Well, first of all, there is no shame in in having a job of digging ditches, I'm going to tell you. It's a job, and if that's what what you do on your job, I'm I'm not making fun of that in the least bit. But I will tell you, it is awful strange to go and start digging ditches in a barren land where it's dried out, there's no rain happening, it hasn't happened in a long time, there's no forecast of rain but you're out there digging ditches preparing for something that looks impossible. But as we know, the rain fell and the ditches were filled with water. What about marching around Jericho seven times? I I mean, I don't don't care what you say. You think everybody in in that multitude was full of faith and just knew that by the time they marched around seven times that those walls were gonna fall down flat? You think they all thought that? Uh Uh-uh. Because there's probably somebody in there like me. First of all, I got one leg that I just had to, two years ago, got that knee replacement in, and if I walk too very far, that thing starts telling me that that I've walked too far. It's got a built-in meter or something tells me that. I don't know how they put that in there. You start marching around seven times, you, you look crazy doing that. But at the obedience to the word of God, you know the end result. The walls fell down flat. Casting that net one more time when you fished all night, Peter and those apostles, when you fished all night and you've caught nothing, taking away the stone at Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus has been dead four days. And of all the groups of people that should have had some faith, we're talking about Martha and Mary, people who had been around Jesus, heard him talk, heard him teach, heard him or watched him do miracles, saw the many wondrous things that he had done. And not one person in that group believed. You say, what do you mean they didn't believe? Well, Jesus said, take away the stone. And they start arguing with him and said, uh-uh, don't do that. He stinks now but at the obedience to the word of God, Lazarus came forth. Can can I tell you, and this, this was just something that came to me about Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha and Lazarus had learned to entertain Jesus before they needed him. You may be seated. 
They had already been with him many times before, serving, listening. At his every, every word that he had spoken, they were there, interested in it. And so they had learned to spend time with him before it ever came time to need him. You know, there's this, this singer that had spent several years in jail or prison, I think, and he had came out with a song. It's on the country charts. It talks about the only time I talk to God is when I need a favor. He said, "Who do I? I don't deserve a miracle if that's the only time you talk to God. He had learned something through his time and through his, the times in his life. But that song has become very popular. And uh, that understanding that we need to learn to entertain Jesus before we need him makes a big, big, big difference. I'm honored to be able to announce to you tonight, uh, Bishop Wilson is in here, can kind of back me up on this, if you will, uh, that in our new church that we're building right over here, we're gonna have two different sections. We're gonna have a desperate section and a non-desperate section. They're not necessarily gonna be labeled that way, but we'll go ahead and just call it that. Is that all right? And if, if, if you, you have a need in your life and you, you need God to do something, you might ought to go over to the desperate section because everybody else in the desperate section is going to be doing the same thing you're doing and that's crying out to him and getting his attention and saying, God, I've got to have you to work in my life. And then the rest of the folks that don't have any kind of needs, y'all sit on the other side, if you will, so that you don't get your toes stepped on and you don't... I'm sorry, that wasn't really official. I'll take that back. I thought it would be a good idea, though. You remember going into restaurants years and years ago whenever smoking was legal in restaurants, and they'd say, you want smoking or non-smoking? We're going to teach all of our ushers and greeters to say, would you like to sit in the desperate section or the non-desperate section? Right this way. I'll lead you right in. <laughs> uh, how are you going to find the desperate section? You, you'll, know, you'll know how to find it. And one of my greatest, greatest examples of desperation and how desperation brought about a miracle was blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus wore, uh, the Bible said, a blind man's coat. That's what the Bible called it. With a little bit of research and study, I found out that this coat actually was, was the same thing as a handicap sticker is to us. A handicap sticker or sign that allows them, you know, to, to park up closer to the door, uh, those type things. That's what this coat was. It was for a blind man. And it, it probably was of a brighter color to let everybody know when he was coming down the road or whatever that, hey, there's a blind man. Because there was a law in the Word of God that if you caused a blind man to fall in a ditch, you was in trouble. Because there, there had to have been a way for them to, to have recognized them before they got to them. And so Bartimaeus wearing that blind man's coat, the Bible said, he heard that Jesus was passing his way. You see, his infirmity, his blindness had become his identity. Because we know him as blind Bartimaeus. Very rarely do we ever just say Bartimaeus. We, we, we refer to him in this story as blind Bartimaeus. His infirmary had, 
had become his identity. He had, he had become known to all those around him as blind Bartimaeus. I'd just like to ask you, are you sick of being recognized by your situation? And I don't mean a lifelong situation, but situations do come and go. But for those situations that stay long enough, we can, if we're not careful, become identified by our problem. Is there anybody here really tired of being what you've been? Is anybody tired of, uh, of maybe, maybe being recognized as depressed Doris or sick Sal or bound up Bill or something? I don't know. But your identity comes from what you're going through. You didn't ask to be blind. You didn't ask to have the situation that you have. You didn't ask for that. But because of having it for so long, you have now become known by your problem. If you're ready for his touch, if you're ready for a change in your life, we gotta get his attention. And the Bible said that whenever Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth had begun, uh, was coming his direction, he began to cry out. And say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. His dilemma was so bad that he had to rely on what he heard from those around him. He didn't have firsthand knowledge of things. He got it secondhand. When somebody said that Jesus was coming by, he didn't question, well, are you sure it's Jesus? I mean, you know, does he look like this? or Because... Uh, you know, I want to make sure it's him because if I start doing what I'm about to do, if it's really Jesus and it's not him, then I'm going to really be embarrassed about what I'm doing because, I mean, you don't, you don't know what, I'm, what I got planned here. You know, you don't know what I'm going to do and, and how desperate I am to get Jesus, the son of David, get his attention. When he heard that Jesus was coming by, he began to cry out. I don't know how far Jesus was away whenever he heard it. I don't know how long it took for Jesus to get to where he was. But the Bible said he began to cry out, Hey, Jesus, thou son of David. Jesus, thou son of David. I don't know if he said any other words other than that, but that's what the Bible records him saying. Have mercy on me. I don't know if he said that phrase over and over and over again. If it took two or three minutes for Jesus to get here and he would not quiet down, he wouldn't calm down. In fact, they were those that tried to calm him and quiet him down. Somebody ought to give God praise right now because if it hadn't have been for Jesus coming by our way, some of us wouldn't be in the place that we're in right now. I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd still be addicted to everything that I'd been addicted to before. I would still be in the same uh, terrible family situation maybe that I was in before. But somebody told me Jesus was coming and I went ahead and started reaching out to him, crying out to him. I, you know, the dilemma may not have been blindness for us, but our dilemma sometimes was blinding to us. It's been blinding, a blinding situation that if God does not respond, oh, 
can't imagine having to live in the dilemma any longer. And those that tried to quiet him down, now this is the Wilson Murphy version, not the King James version, but they said, oh, good grief, would you please calm down? Just, just, just basically quiet down. Stop what you're doing. You're annoying me. And all of that was basically saying, would you please just get comfortable with the situation you're in? You talking about a you talking about a word from the enemy, a word from the devil. The devil would love to make those of us sitting here tonight comfortable with the situation we found ourselves in. Listen, it is not a sin to go through trouble. It's not a sin to go through trials, sickness, or problems of this life. But I've got news for you. There's probably something wrong with us if we are comfortable with staying with them. Be satisfied with your situation, Bartimaeus. But you know what? Bartimaeus got his miracle for crying out loud. Some of y'all get that later on the way home. But what stands out to me is when Bartimaeus is told by Jesus to come here. Oh, Bartimaeus gets up, and when he gets up, the first thing the Bible said he does is he cast away that garment that he had on. Now, there's nothing about wearing that garment that he couldn't go to Jesus wearing his coat. It wasn't that it was just that hot and he just started coming. He threw that garment away. Before Jesus ever opened his eyes, he threw the garment away. You know what he was saying? I'm not going to be needing this no more. I know that it has defined me. It has been something that showed everybody I was a blind person. It was, it was my identification, if you will. But he knew when he got Jesus' attention coming down the road that day, he's about to do something for me and I'm not going to be called blind Bartimaeus for anymore. I'm, I'm going to be known as Bartimaeus, but I won't be needing this blind man's coat. Desperate people of 2024. Somebody needs to understand and needs to know that there's nothing wrong with crying out. You've got to be willing to look crazy. Sometimes we've got to be willing to do things that nobody else is doing. See, Wednesday night, it's not Sunday night. I feel like a hot dog in a steakhouse after preaching after Bishop Raymond Woodward was here and, and, and Pastor Vasquez. That's kind of how I feel. I mean, it's like, wow, you know, I feel bad for everybody on Valentine's Day, so at least you'll go home and get to enjoy some candy or something, cheer you up. But the main reason for the lack of miraculous movement of God in a lot of churches, and I'm not saying this one because I believe we are still experiencing the miracle working power of God, but it is a lot of times the lack of crying out due to Satan's influence of telling us to become satisfied. Just, just be, be silent. Don't, 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 don't get all worked up like that. You know, I, there's no reason. It's Wednesday night. You know, no, no reason for anybody to cry out and get a miracle on Wednesday night. Jesus is, it's midweek, you know. Somebody's got to be able to, 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 origin, to some way, they've got to make up in their mind, today is the day all of the ne negativity stops. 
I don't read Facebook. I believe that Facebook has great, re, great ways and great things that could be used for. And I know that, that a lot of people do, and I'm not against it. I, you let Pastor Vasquez tell you what to do about that. But I don't do it just simply because I, I get tired of reading the negativity. And I also get tired of seeing really nice looking plates of food that I don't have set in front of me. Keep me from being as hungry as, uh, more than I already am, you know. But boy, I'm telling you what, if you want a few sob stories, give yourself about five minutes. It's all it'll take. You'll be able to read several. But the feeling sorry for myself needs to be over. Mark chapter 5, the desperation of a man when the man with the legions of devil, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. If he could worship with up to 6,000 devils in him, what's our excuse? The ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name, when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly. The woman with the issue of blood, when she heard that Jesus came in the press and she pressed in and touched the hem of his garment, all of these things seemingly just nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. While he was talking to the woman that once had the issue of blood, there came a ruler of the synagogue, the house uh, certain which said, thy daughter is dead and why troublest thou the master any further? You know, Jesus was headed that way and they came running and told him, well, she, it's too late. She's, she's already dead. Don't, don't bother the master anymore. Let him go. There's other things he could be. She's passed away. Just leave. One chapter later, Jesus said to a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. You see, all the miracles that have taken place and you get to Mark chapter six and verse four and Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house, verse five said, and he could there do no mighty work. You mean there wasn't any sick folks? You mean there wasn't anybody that had problems? even though he was standing in the middle of people that had sickness, had troubles, had situations in their life, he was not able to do anything. I know one thing for sure, that not one person in Mark chapter five that cried out to him was left without their miracle. But I also know that in his own country, he finds one chapter later, he, you find that there, he, he's not able to do anything. Why? One chapter, they cried out. But when he finds himself in his own country where he grew up, nobody steps up and says, hey, I, I, I got something I need. Everybody in that group of people must have been satisfied with where they were or at least acted as though they had no problem. Which brings me back to the second woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. The first woman, the Shunammite woman cried out, got a miracle. The Bible said this second woman, the Bible called her a great woman. Great woman. 
There's some, something to be said there and something to be read into that that, uh, you know, there's, it's not absolutely necessary to understand this woman for not to have been, he met a woman. But God, in his giving the inspiration of the writing of the word of God, he called her a great woman. Most of the commentaries agree that this Shunammite woman, she was very well known and respected in her community. Hardly, every, hardly anyone that didn't know who she was. She was probably rather popular in the community, was more than likely even well off as far as ha- having enough to live on. Maybe not completely wealthy, but she may have been more blessed than, than those that were around him, around her. And, and she, was, she wasn't struggling financially. And at first she asked the man of God to just come in, let me give you something to eat. And he comes in and she feeds him. And after he leaves, she's talking to her husband and she said, you know what, why don't we build a room on to the side of our house here? Let's put a bed in there. We'll put a table and a stool and a candlestick so that, because we've seen this man of God passes through this way quite frequently. And, and you know, that was a total different day than what it is now. There, there wasn't a holiday inns. There, there weren't, uh, you know, Best Westerns or whatever hotels there are. You know, that, that's not the way things were done. They would sleep outside under the cover of a tree or something. But if they had somebody that would invite them in, and so her husband agrees, you know, we'll build this room on here. That's what they did. And so as it goes, the time goes on. He comes into the house and lays down on the bed in that little extra room they had built on. He's laying there and he's thinking about all that they have done, the, the, the extreme care they have taken to make him comfortable. His own little room, if you will. And he's laying there and he, he thinks, I wonder what I could do in return. You know, have you ever had somebody do something for you that made you, well, I wasn't thinking about doing something for them yesterday, but now that they did, man, I, I, I need to do something. I offer to pay them or, you know, do something to, in return for their kindness to me. And so he asked Gehazi, he said, what can we do? Go get her. He goes and gets her. I, I'm still not sure of the reasoning behind this, but he, told Gehazi, and she's standing right there. He said, Gehazi, ask her, is there anything that we could do for her? <laughs> could we go talk to the king? Now, see, the king would get involved in civil matters. If maybe there was a dispute on a, uh, a boundary, a property boundary, or maybe somebody had uh, been doing something that, you know, maybe that wasn't exactly the, what they felt like was right, and, and they could go talk to the king because uh, Elisha, he had, he had some clout. He could go talk. He would go talk to the king for her if that what she needed. Is there a civil matter that, you know, something I could do for you? And, and she says, no. Uh, and, and he said, um, if, if I can't go talk to the king, he said, is there anything? What could I done, do for you? Wouldst thou be spoken uh, to the king or the captain of the host? And her answer is, basically, no, I'm fine. No 
verbalizing of any type problem she may be experiencing. I'm good. This Shunammite woman was evidently living up to one of the definitions of Shunammite, and that was silence. She refuses to give an answer to the question, what do you need? And I think of this quite frequently as I go into churches, go into our church or to any church, and as people are shaking hands, you know, and I am, number one, I'm guilty, okay? I'm guilty. Brother Benny, you shake my hand every time that I come in. How you doing, Brother Murphy? Oh, I'm good, I'm good. Knowing that just before I came up on the steps a minute ago, I was wondering how in the world am I going to do this and how am I going to pay for this and how am I going to get out of this situation? What, uh, you know, I got troubles, I got problems, I got things going on, you know? And, and I come up and, and somebody asks you, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Would any of y'all keep me from feeling like I'm the only one and raise your hand if you're guilty of that? <laughs> Whoo, I feel a little bit better. Not that I thought it, because I knew all of us are. We all do that, don't we? We do. We, we, everything's fine. It's all good. It's all good. But then we go home that night or on the way home, we're talking about trying to figure out how in the world we're going to get through this situation, get through that situation. God is wanting to give us something, something we cannot attain by ourselves. And so the servant Gehazi says to the man of God, he says, she hath no child. Well, Gehazi, he's getting, he's getting deep and he, he's been doing some, he's been used in the gift of observation. <laughs> he looks around, there's no little children running around, there's no, no, no child. Now, my two grandsons are really close to perfect in my eyes. But I have to admit that Emmett takes up the little part of it that's not at times because, boy, he cries. always want his mom. Boy, he wants to cry. Pop, pop, get him. He's the only one. Sometimes I can get him to quiet down a little bit, but he likes to cry, cry, cry. He just cries. And he wants to go outside, and he thinks that's a gift. And I told Justice the other day, I said, Justice, you got to make sure that he understands that going outside while church is going on is not a good thing. A little parenting advice I had to give, you know. He had actually told me it had came to him that same thing. He's got to make sure he understands that, you know, if we go outside, it's not going to be good. You're going to quit crying now. He thinks you go outside, and he'll quit crying, right? Well, that's not the way it needs to work, but. Oh, Gehazi, he had already looked around. He ain't heard no, no little child just crying, wouldn't quit crying in the middle of the night, crying and crying when they didn't get their way and fussing and fighting with their brother. He didn't see any tricycles. He didn't see any skates laying around. He didn't see a basketball. He didn't see anything, toys. There was no toys laying around. This just looked like a house that a, a man and his wife lived in. Gehazi is used in the gift of observation. He, he said, she don't have any children. And in a day and time where women... That was, it was felt and thought that the only, the main job, I should say, that a woman had was to bear children. Women and little girls did not grow up thinking, I want to be a pilot of an airplane. I, don't, I, I want to become 
you know, President of the United States, things that, that our children, our girls can, can grow up thinking about and wishing for and desiring, and, and, and rightfully so. I, I hope that they get what they wish for uh, if God be, be in it, amen? But that, that was not what they grew up thinking. They grew up thinking, I want to have a baby. I need to, to bear a child. The Bible even said in one place that uh, Leah, the wife to Jacob, when she gave birth to Judah, she said, maybe now you'll love me. It was about bearing children that they were supposed to do. It was also felt that a woman that had no children, her barrenness, it was looked upon as a curse. In some cases, I wasn't there, I didn't see this, but I'm just telling you what I've studied and found, uh, found in, in history books and, and documentation that's written about this, that some people wouldn't even want to walk on the same side of the street, on the sidewalk, as, as, as a woman that didn't have children. Because they felt as though God had cursed her because she didn't have children. This woman does not have children and when it is brought to her attention that the man of God said about this time next year according to your season that you're going to have a child. You would think if this woman had been barren all this time maybe even miscarriages where she felt like okay it's, I'm going to have a child and then to be let down with that terrible, terrible thing that, that happens from time to time. And her response to the man of God whenever he said, you're going to have a child, she said, nay, no. Almost cutting him off mid-sentence. He hardly even was able, Brother Tucker, to get the words out of his mouth when she spat out, no. And the next phrase was, do not lie to me, thou man of God leads me to believe that maybe sometime in her past she had had the hope of having children. Maybe there was a month or two where things went well in her pregnancy and she was feeling like this is it. I'm going to be able to deliver a child. I'm no longer barren. I'm not going to be talked about because those on the outside had whispered about her. Had, 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 she had been barren so long that they had begun to talk about, wonder what she did to be cursed the way she is. But the problem seems to be that the silence of this Shunammite woman was that she had gotten used to not having a child. She had gotten to the place where the whispering, the negative comments about her, the talks. You see, there was no inviting a barren woman to, to, to lunch, the ladies group getting together and maybe the ladies in the community all having lunch at somebody's house and, and like, like it's done. No, no. She, she, she was at home by herself. This woman would rather be silent She had adjusted to, adjusted to her barrenness. Can I say this in closing? 
and this is even true today, adapting is easier than wanting. I know that, that we're looking for a greater and greater revival, many more souls to be born into the kingdom of God here at Bethlehem Church. And I believe that it's happening. What a great year we had in 2023. A move of God, baptizing people, people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. But you realize we've got a new building over here to fill up, both sections. <laughs> we'll fill them both up, you know, and then hopefully... Over time, we'll just maybe have one section where everybody's desperate, right? But adapting to your situation and your problem is easier than really wanting to get rid of it. The world says, and this is in psychology, they have, uh, they have several terms in talking about how people deal with their, their situation. How well you adapt determines how far you can go. I believe that ought to be changed around. I believe that the more we want and how much we're, the, the depth of our wanting something from God determines how far we go in God and how far we go in this world. Why? Because the word of God said that he wants us to be prosper as our soul prospers. It's sad to say, but I do believe that there's some people that they have prospered so much in this world, but they've only prospered so much and can't get over that, that hump because they won't allow their soul to prosper anymore. Who knows? Some of us sitting right here right now could be blessed to the point where God said, I won't allow any more blessings to their natural life until they have their soul can you imagine just maybe a few shouts? We, we might be just a couple of shouting victory shouts away from letting our soul grow a little bit. And God says, oh, that's, that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see somebody want something from me again. But you know what we need in 2024? We need a revival of wanting. I don't mean wanting things that we don't need and wanting things that God doesn't want us to have. But there needs to be, in me, there needs to be a revival of wanting more of the kingdom of God, more of God in my life. Would you stand together? I'm going to throw this in. I was going to just stop, but I am going to throw this in. You'd, uh, I'm going to tell my wife she don't have to stand. Uh, she just had her knee surgery, so I'm going to let her sit because I'm almost done, but I am going to tell you this. We, we've been very guilty of taking ownership of our problems. I've been guilty of it, and I'm sure you have. Health issues. I could go around talking about my diabetes. It won't let me do certain things. My knee that I had to have that surgery, my, my, you know, my arthritis or my gout or my, and boy, we've taken ownership of a lot of our physical ailments. I, I encourage us to stop calling it my. We might ought to refer to it as that. That arthritis, because it ain't mine. Because I believe God's going to take care of this or I believe God's going to take care of that. Quit, quit, 
quit taking ownership of all this. My family that, that's good, all this, my, my, my little old job I got. My, you better thank God for your job. That's all right. You ought to give God a hand clap of praise and thank God for your family. Thank God for your job. Thank God for your church. Thank God for your husband. Thank God for your wife. But a lot of times, because we cannot control the outcome of life, we have diminished our expectations. Our expectations are low because we don't have control of how it's going to come out. If I'm the one that's going to make it happen, I can, I, 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 I can have faith for that. <laughs> but it's those things that I cannot control that have caused expectations in this world in 2024 to be diminished and to be just like the woman, the Shunammite woman, when asked, what could I do for you? She says, I'm good. Nothing. I don't need anything. I'm, I'm fine. I'll read this last scripture, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? As Bishop Holmes preached about just a few weeks ago, these things saith the amen, the faithful and the true witnesses, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works and thou art neither hot nor cold or cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest. You have verbalized this. You, this has come out of your mouth because you've said, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, God had a problem with that church. So I'm telling you, it's not just an individual thing, but it'll get in the church. And Bishop Holmes preached such a wonderful message about not becoming the church of the Laodiceans. I, I don't, I don't want to be that, do you? I want to be, be where God wants me to be. I want to still be needing something. Is there anybody in this room that maybe hasn't come to church with a desperate situation. But you do have some things you need God to do that if I would just get a little more desperate with it, I believe God would work it out. Is anybody in here that you've said, yes, I'm doing fine, but when we got home, we're faced with the same problem we've been dealing with for years. Would you raise your hand? So you know what? I see hands right now with mine being the first that we could come back on Sunday morning, come back in with a little more desperate situation and say, God, I'm not coming back in saying I don't need anything. I'm coming in saying, God, I need you to do something. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I know it's Valentine's Day and uh, everybody, if you hadn't gotten your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend uh, Anything for Valentine's Day, shame on you. I did it yesterday, so I wouldn't forget today. I can say that now. My wife's already walked out the room. 
I need him, don't you? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you go home thinking about what, what the word of God said tonight? Go home, take this with you. Let's don't just leave it here, but let's take it with us. Let's go back home saying, God, I need something from you, and I know I got to do a better job of, of showing you what I need. Amen. Lift your hands right now all over this building and just, just make a promise to God. God, I'm going to do, do better. God, I'm going, to, I'm going to reach for you. I'm going to reach for a change in my life. I need a change in my life. I've got things you can handle. God, if I'll just turn them over to you. In the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, God bless you tonight. Be back here Sunday morning, uh, men's breakfast, 8.30 Sunday morning. Is that right? I heard them say, hallelujah. I'll try my best not to forget it. Food I tend to not forget, but God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.